This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sleepwalkers, episodes one and five. I gotta be honest with you, I don't have a clue as to what any of this has to do with my dreams. Well, dreams can manifest themselves in the waking world as tangible physiological signs and symptoms. Now, we've seen cases where they've caused blindness, even paralysis. So you're saying my dreams are killing me? It's possible. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that will be with you in your dreams. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think we're two sides of the same coin? 100%. We're just a (laughs) coin with two heads. Isn't it hilarious how many times you hear that in TV shows? It's a great analogy. You really fall back on it. (laughs) Wait a minute. Can you explain how that's true? You know, a coin is exactly the same, but has two faces. (laughs) What if we're like that? (laughs) All right. Well, this week we're getting into a new series from 1997, Sleepwalkers. Mm -hmm. Jordan, you know anything about this show before this? You were around in 1997. (laughs) I was around in 1997. I was getting it done. I am amazed I don't know about this show because I think the people in front of and behind the character are well-known names and i'm just kind of amazed that this show seemed to come puff away in a smoke without anyone remembering it's true Uh, i also had uh, never heard of this um and yeah it's uh it's interesting we'll get into it a bit it's uh, so i guess i i had a question for you but i guess you've kind of answered it now it's like you were you were excited to watch this and um i would have never guessed like if you'd just given me the synopsis for this on paper it would i would have been like I would have never guessed like a dream show would be something that you'd be. Is is it just the creators and the cast you're excited for? Or do I just not know you that well? I think anything (laughs) that has, (laughs) perhaps, I think anything that is the X-Files vein, I always want to at least give it a shot. Interesting. However, I seem to always be disappointed. Well, I mean, fair enough. We'll get into this. But I was, I was just curious. I, on paper, I would have never guessed that kind of this this genre would have, have appealed to you. I'm not that it's necessarily bad, actually. I've got some positive things to say about it. So uh... I think the conceit of the show, which we will talk about, opens the possibilities to a lot of fun adventures. Although, after two episodes, I don't know how much fun this show wants to have. Fair enough. I mean, I I was also excited about the show, but for a very different reason. What is that? Uh, the episode order is a mess, and I love that. <laughs> this has happened at least three times, right? Where we've had a show that is aired in one order, was repackaged in a different order on DVD, and had in another order, I think was the intended order. Well, this is this is the case. Like in this particular case too, we're we're doing kind of a homebrewed remix of this order. We're kind of using the production order with a slight alteration to the production order because of some trivia notes I read that pieced two episodes close together. But a large part of that is is like this show was canceled after two episodes. Four more episodes were just aired randomly over the course of a year, and then the final three episodes just never ended up airing. So. Nobody, there's very little written about it. Nobody's bothered to like write up a like definitive order list for it. Well, we know there was a production order, Mm -hmm. but that may not even be the intended order. We know that the, as you mentioned, the order it sort of aired in on TV, but even then it's confusing. And then what we found is, and we'll probably talk about this more as we go through this show, but the DVD had it in weird order. And then I think on some versions were kind of repackaged as like mini movies. 
Well, that's the only DVDs that were ever available in North America, and I'm not even sure if they were. They might have just been available in like the UK, but it was like they had taken six episodes, cut them into two-hour films. So I assume it's just still like you just cut out the tr- the cr- credits and the uh, opening mm-hmm. opening credits, and then you've got a two-hour movie, I guess. Um, but even then, there was only six episodes. So that's still the missing three episodes. On Wikipedia, when we were going into this, we thought we'd only ever be able to watch those six episodes because the Wikipedia even says it's just like the only place All Nine came out was on a Japanese VHS release in 97. It's long gone. And truly, I thought we were never going to watch all of them. We would just watch six random episodes until we found uh, one of Canada's streaming networks or CTV happens to have the back catalog. Which is so bizarre. And it's active. It's active. It's watching it. We're watching it right now. I will note one thing for you. It's missing one episode, Jordan. We're going to have to watch one of the YouTube videos to see that episode. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, because we also have the version of the TV movies, which probably by the end of this, we can compare and contrast and see what the idea of packaging them together was and and how well it worked. Well, we're going to get a chance to watch it because I believe our probably the third set of episodes we have to watch one of them is missing from CTV, so we're going to have to watch the YouTube version. Anyways, we're doing our best to watch the entire series because everyone needs to know more about Sleepwalkers, the forgotten 1997 series. We will be some of the only people to have watched those three episodes that never aired. Like, it's like even on IMDb, there's no photos for them. People believe them to be lost until I happen to go to CTV.ca. A hint for anyone, if that's if you're so interested to watch, that's the one place in the world they're located. Yeah. Uh, fire up your VPN. <laughs> All right. Well, um, per our uh, discussion, the IMDb lists the original release dates as happening between November 1st and 19, 19, sorry, November 1st, 1997 and March 31st, sorry, May 31st, 1998 on NBC. Oh, it's an early morning for me, apparently. Um, so it aired like, I think the first two episodes aired in November, canceled, and then like February, they dropped a couple more, one in March, one at the end of May. And it was just so they have a it has a seemingly long run, but it's just like scattered episodes throughout. Yeah. Not a lot of love was given to this show is really what what you see. And uh, so, Jordan, you want to know what's happened in the world? Those sleepwalkers is sort of on TV. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's 1987. You and I are both 15 years old. Uh, Yeah. Math checks out. <laughs> yeah. We're just setting the stage. We're setting the stage. Uh, That is the year of the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. Hmm. Which is on NBC, the same network as this show, which might explain why there's two episodes randomly airing in February. They just needed to fill some time somewhere while the Olympics were on. Was that the Summer Olympics? The Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics, right. Titanic becomes the first film to gross $1 billion. Mm -hmm. It was huge. I knew at least one person in high school that had two copies of it on VHS. One was to watch and one was just to keep in its pristine packaging. Smart. I mean, that's worth a million dollars today. (laughs) I guess. Um, I had two two discoveries that NASA made during this period of time. One, the Galileo probe finds a liquid ocean on Jupiter's moon Europa underneath the crust of ice. Hmm. Can we drink that? Oh, yeah. It's it's really fresh. <laughs> I believe Nestle has a bottling plant. Of course they do. There. They've already set up a bottling plant. They're not paying tax on it, though. God, no. There's no taxes on uh, Europa. <laughs> and uh, two, the Clementine probe finds enough water on the moon to support a human colony. Really? I didn't know that. I did not know that either. So the two big NASA discoveries. What do you think of the name Clementine, though, for a probe? It's a cute little orange-shaped probe that flies around. Shouldn't they have, like, cool names? Yeah, more like Galileo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, and for you, Jordan, and the listener, we have watched two TV movies that sort of happened during this time frame. 
Can mm. you guess what those two TV movies are? One would be Generation X. No. Oh, <laughs> oh. I well, uh, the other one is. Uh, I know what it is. I can't remember. You what? said it with such confidence. I like that. <laughs> That's how you got to do it. The other one is. I can't remember the the name, but it was like secret government agency that sent people in to do stuff. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. That's not correct either. Oh, what are they? <laughs> It was uh, Warlord, Battle for the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that giant blob. Or the Osiris Chronicles. Yes, of course. Let's not forget the Osiris Chronicles. And the other was Justice League of America. Oh, possibly, arguably, the worst thing we've ever seen. Uh, Yes, arguably the worst thing we've ever seen. I believe the ratings hold that true. (laughs) It's got to sell like 0.5 on our ratings or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, let's get in to sleepwalkers so i was just gonna say this first episode do you have it listed as pilot or something is buried in bethlehem i got it listed as both it's got two titles mm-hmm. uh i need summary for episode one something is buried in bethlehem and or pilot major ben costigan is suffering from reoccurring nightmares involving a sinister faceless man that stalks him he turns to nathan bradford and his team of dream researchers for help they investigate his childhood i think that's spot on who did that one uh, uncredited. Uh, he should have taken credit. A beautiful Shakespeare out in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens in this episode. Although I didn't realize, I, not that it matters for anything, I didn't realize Ben's rank was major. Yes, he's 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 a young major. I believe he got it at 31, which is unheard of. He's like, he, he's like a pilot or something, right? Yeah, he flies jets for the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So the episode begins in a dream, of course, because this is a very dream-best show where uh, former Air Force pilot Ben Costigan is having a bad dream. Let me ask you right off the bat. We're going to see, as you just mentioned, a lot of dreams in this. And to sub-varying degrees of like dream-like magical realism sort of thing, what did you think about how they did these dreams? Because they all kind of have that late 90s sort of choppy, distorted editing, so you kind of feel that things are otherworldly. Yeah, they're pulling kind of the music video tricks of the early 90s, like choppy editing, color corrections to do the dreams. You know what? I'd say normally like it's par for the course for TV dreams. But coming off of The Lathe of Heaven, another show just about going into someone's dreams, the real, real lack of imagination on this show. Kind of my feelings, too. It's not that it's bad. I think a better way to describe it is it's a real timestamp of this time period. You really you really nailed it with a music video. It's like it's just shy of like a Marilyn Manson music video from this time period. Well, I will talk about the next episode, but like literally the beginning of the dream in the next episode is just a Marilyn Manson video from 1994 come to life. Yeah, right. Anyways, we start on like a lot of shots as like a guy in a subway, like a raven flies by, then he disappears, then maybe he becomes a man, and then you realize he doesn't have a face. Yeah, he's got a real black pixelated face. He's got a knife, and he's chasing poor Costigan around. <laughs> yeah, he chases him in a, in a train, and then he falls out of the train. It's all very like, you're like, what is happening? I, I, I'm disoriented. He falls, his face falls into a puddle, and when he looks in that puddle, he doesn't see his own reflection. He sees the crazy masked man who jumps out and tries to stab him. Oh, my God. But don't worry, because at that exact moment, you've probably never seen this in TV before, but he wakes up, and you find out it's a dream. <laughs> also, have you ever had a dream like this? Like, I've had dreams where I'm in a fight, and I wake myself up because I've punched a wall or something, but I've never had a dream in the way that TV portrays dreams. Where you sit straight up in bed? Yeah. I've never had that. I, it's only happened to me once. <laughs> and I noticed it when it happened. I was just like, it wasn't because of a dream, though. I live next to a train track. Right. And the day, I, the day I moved in, I went to bed. And the first train that came by was so loud. I literally sat straight up because I thought the world was ending for a hot, for a hot <laughs> second. 
And then after it did, I was just like, just like a TV show. (laughs) Anyways, he wakes up. We find out his name, as you mentioned, is it's Ben Costigan, I think. And they say he's a pilot, I think right off the bat, because I think you might see a picture of a plane in the background or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's there with his wife and kid in bed, and he's he's quite clearly upset, and he uh, fi- finds a business card for the Morpheus Institute. Yeah, which um, I was like, guys, you could do a little better than this. This feels like a first draft, doesn't it? Work a little harder. Yeah. Um, and then he proceeds to punch a mirror. Which is one of my least favorite cliches to see in TV, is someone upset so they punch a mirror. Do you know why? Because no one has ever done it. In the same <laughs> In the same category is people in a car screaming and banging the steering wheel. No one does it. <laughs> anyway we're treated to a quick opening title credit sequence that gives us a little background where they explain hey we've discovered a deeper state a deeper state of sleep i'm like okay good yeah, yeah well that's what you need to know about the show there's a deeper state of sleep that this institute uh or these this group i don't know what you call it, the morpheus institute they are able to access and interact with in various ways that's basically yeah, the conceit there, there is a lead character who will spend his entire part, his entire scene of this episode. He gets uh, giving us a breakdown. Of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a anyway, lot of exposition in this pilot. Yeah, yeah. We we cut from the credits into another dream. This one's being had by our psychologist and dream interpreter Kate Russell. Yeah, and she's there with another guy in a Hawaiian shirt named Steve Turner, and he's also part of the team. I mean, this is the big this is the big get for this show. Uh, before she was famous, Kate Russell is played by Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's slumming. Oh yeah, but she is get, she is doing it in her original Australian accent. I actually thought that was great. It's something that drives me crazy in TV that you have an actor or actress who has a different accent than, let's say, the most generic, you know, Midwest American accent, and it's like. People have been immigrating forever. People can have different accents. Why do you have to have them all suddenly pretend to do this bad American accent? I think that's a point for the show. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a good move, too. Um, Her dream is in the Australian outback because she's Australian, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) they do have to justify it, of course. (laughs) And uh, her and Steve Turner are kind of, I guess, looking into some of her childhood trauma, which represents itself by a locked cave in the outback that she's supposed to confront. They're supposed to... She needs to go into this cave and confront this childhood trauma at some point. They, like, pull the lock off, and they're like, dare we go inside your childhood trauma? And then I think they immediately wake up or, or, or like, thrown out of the dream once they open it up, right? Yeah, her subconscious, like, ejects them from the dream. They just, like, wake up in these, like, crazy crazy dream pods they've built at the Morpheus Institute. Oh, uh, we should look into, when did uh, that Jennifer Lopez movie uh, come out where this is the exact same thing? Yeah, it's it, this is The Cell. Right, uh, right, The Cell, 100%. Yeah this show the next episode more than anything is just literally the plot to the cell but um they yeah they've got these like how would you describe those pods they're in they're sort of like it looks like a somewhat futuristic bed that is sort of uh but also like a cylinder and then it has a half kind of glass cover that goes over their head and then they have a bunch of wires that attach to their face and head that are also attached to the bed it sort of looks a little bit like the pods from alien yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good, or, or some sort of glass coffin. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have to say, when they take the uh, the nodes off their head, they're really, really stuck, because poor Naomi Watts is pulling them, and it's just pulling her face. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> wow, they really stuck them on. Very funny. And did you notice also, like, uh, is the Morphe- Morpheus Institute in an old hotel? <laughs> it's weird. It's either an old hotel or, like, an abandoned building, and I'm not sure why the choice is. I don't know if the, what they're trying to imply is that they're sort of they have to be off the beaten path because they're so 
off the grid or they're so mysterious. But yes, you get this idea that it's at least some sort of out of the way older building, but it, it could be a hotel. I'm not sure. Well, I only ask too because in the in the room where they keep the sleep pods and all the control equipment, there's a chandelier. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't notice. But I think in the second episode, they take their show on the road and they like set it up in a hotel room, so it clearly can be folded up pretty quick. Sorry, excuse me. They take it to a uh, a hospital. Oh, do they? I thought they just brought it. I thought they just brought it. anyway. We'll get to it next episode. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, my wonder. I wonder if because we'll get a little backstory. Of course, that they were kicked out of Stanford for their experimental dream sequences, yeah. and I think maybe what they're doing is they're just ripping off Ghostbusters, and they're just like, "Oh, we got kicked out of Stanford. We got to move into an old hotel." <laughs> but the important thing is, we get to meet uh, who is, I guess, probably going to be our main character, who is Bruce Greenwood's character, Doctor Nathan Bradford, and he sort of just comes in to be like, uh, "I'm angry because you guys deviated from the protocol," and you're like, uh, "Okay." I guess he's the big heavy. Yeah, but when Steve gets in his face, he's like, I co-created those protocols with you. I can break them if I want to. <laughs> yeah, I love them because it's it's not that anything is particularly badly written in this, but it's, it's so on the nose. Like you're saying, everything is exposition and they barely can hide it yeah i mean those two are butting heads over like how you proceed in dreams and then steve steve's like oh yeah bradford well remember the stanford incident that got kicked out of stanford that we're not going to talk about yet and bradford's like don't bring that up yeah but the whole point is to basically establish that going into these dreams has some stakes it's dangerous and what can Mm -hmm. happen to you in the dream can happen to you in real life so Uh, Thus, if you get stabbed in the dream, there's a possibility it will affect your brain that will kill you. Well, I think even when they get ejected out of uh, Kate's dream here... They, uh, they, it happens so quickly that uh, Steve they say Steve has a micro seizure and I'm like that's the problem it, it actually is like I was surprised at how much of a debilitating effect it has on him throughout the show yeah you gotta be very careful in these dreams apparently yeah at any rate outside the Morpheus Institute at this point Costigan's arriving finally to seek help and as he arrives he's just in time to see cop cars pull up to the Morpheus Institute Dr. Bradford walks out with some woman and uh, the cops are pulling her small son out of a car and reuniting them from whatever happened. I I was like, <laughs> I understand the basic premise. You go into people's dreams, you help them with their problems. How does helping this woman's problems in her dreams re- get the cops to return her son to her? I mean, I like, th- they've sort of implied that he was able to, by entering someone, an unknown person, entering their dreams, was able to solve some sort of crime. The crime apparently being an al- uh, alien, a uh, child abduction. It was so funny to show that as you're like big reveals, like this is how good they are. Just like, I can't one to one what they would have done inside this building to get this child back. Like there's no connection. It's so funny because the show needs to have so much exposition, but it also wants to move at such a clip. So they need... Instead of, of having that hand. conversation with Ben, they're just like, we'll just have him see the amazing work they've done. You know, they've done in the past. Boom, he, he's in. It's true. And you can't really show someone getting over a debilitating, like, mental disorder. You have to, sh- you, that doesn't work on camera. There's yeah. no way of showing it. So it's like, look, the cops found her son. Dreams. <laughs> That's what he should have just said. He should have just li- looked over at the camera over his shoulder and said, dreams. Am I right? <laughs> Anyway, they interview old Costigan here, and we, this is where you kind of get that background. He's he's a major in the Air Force. He uh, he was, I guess, kicked out of the Air Force after a uh, he had a he crashed a jet during the Gulf War due to a hallucination he had that, that's related to his problem he's having, and uh, he's having some sort of mental breakdown. Yeah, the docs have assured him he doesn't have Gulf War syndrome, but. 
His entire immune system is shutting down, and he only has a couple <laughs> weeks left to live. Is that what they said? He only has a couple weeks left to live? Yeah, yeah. He only has a few weeks. He's dying. Like, he's I dying. tell you, if I had only had a couple weeks to live, I would not saunter over to the office like he did. I'd be going as fast as possible. I also wouldn't have walked. <laughs> he's very, he's just, he's like, he, he doesn't believe in this frou around dreams. So why would he waste his two weeks trying to get cured? But Dr. Bradford assures him that this immune disorder he has that's killing him, it's just his dreams. It's going to be okay. <laughs> what I like better is, though, we have the kind of team, like, slowly introduce themselves. Like, uh, Nathan gives kind of the, the rundown, like you mentioned previous. There's another state to a dream. We can go in and maybe find out this issue and solve it for you. And and they're like, he's like, what about Blondie over there? And she's like, don't worry. I have a, I have a, a degree in psychology and cross-culture mythology. I was like, yes. oh, okay. Is that helpful at all? At, she's very good at interpreting your dreams for you. Yeah, that's basically what they need. They have different people have different symbolic images in their dreams, which will be very convenient later on um, that she's the only one to interpret somehow. Well, I mean, here's the thing is that we basically now get this character. He's a, I, he's a technician character, this poor actor who I recognize. He's like who's a nurse on ER who I quite liked as, a, as an actor. He's but... been in lots of TV. It's um oh, uh, 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 Abraham Benruby. Yes. And he's playing Vincent Konefke. And he's basically in this episode to provide so much technical exposition here. They're going to explain to us that like how the dream pods work, which is they're based on electromagnetic fields and use the electric and they use the magnetic impulses of dreams to uh, produce some sort of like cross dreaming. Uh, apparently, they're able to sync people's dreams together using their cerebromagnetic fields <laughs> so that the people who work at the Morpheus Institute can co-dream the same dream as the patient um but to do that you get to have to be induced into hyper rem it's a deeper more stable rem sleep <laughs> basically all this that you're all this information you're giving is basically their way around we're gonna have we're gonna be able to have people have the same dream enter the dream be lucid in the dream and control it to some effect but luke my favorite part is coming up and it's something that in some ways we've seen before which is science fiction tv shows love using one thing which is a glove and in this <laughs> you gotta it's, have a glove. it's a data glove we've seen a glove that flies ships we've seen ones that make things like levitate we've seen gloves that uh a medical glove yeah medical glove it's just it's a real easy shorthand to have someone do something and this glove we're going to learn is i think primarily i think it's maybe only operated by kate and it's sort essentially like a morse code thing so in the dream if she's in a dream she can think something and it will go through to her actual physical body, which will move the fingers uh, on the glove, which will then type out on a screen what she's saying. It's really so they have a, a quick way of um, having the characters communicate. Yeah, it's, it's her way of communicating the dream. They say, she, they say she uses sign language and the glove interprets it, but her it's not sign language. It's no. just her fingers <laughs> flipping around a little bit. Sign language would be much better because it'd be more interesting than look at than the many shots of just her fingers wiggling well they said it's like she uses sign language i'm like well that makes sense and then you like catch it and just like her hand barely twitching i'm like okay well that's not sign language you guys yeah. <laughs> um but at any rate they do tell they do warn him this is not without risk there could be psychogenerative side effects and i'm like what are those and they never explain <laughs> Whatever they want them to be. Yeah, whatever they want them to be. Basically, again, it's just the stakes are when they go into these dreams, you as the viewer need to know 
it's going to be scary and it's going to be dangerous and they're going to be in peril. But don't worry because they know the symbolic imagery. <laughs> well, it, it, I guess that is the case. It's like we have to assure the viewer that something bad could happen in Dream. Otherwise, yeah. there's no stakes to this. Um, and they also, as, as they're about to go into the Dream, I believe Vincent says, but you must remember, don't go beyond the threshold. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and they don't also ever explain. I'm like, what is what is what is the threshold? <laughs> Unrelated to anything, Bruce Greenwood's got a real good head of hair. Oh, some good hair all around. And the Steve, too. Steve Rock yeah. and a nice head of hair. Yeah. Anyways, everyone looks great. Oh, and I should, uh, another little bit of perhaps unintended sexism of the time is something else I noticed is that you have Naomi Watts' character as, uh, I, I don't know if she's a doctor in the show, but she's an authority figure of some sort. But when she goes into the dream state, she always has to wear like a tight white top. <laughs> it's the only way she can go into the dream state. Yes, yeah, Steve and uh, Kate enter Costigan's dream state. They're supposed to be joining him on that subway train from the beginning, but they miss the train and they get in the dream. What are they going to do? Yeah, I never quite understood how this makes sense. And uh, we don't want to belabor the point, but they're going into his dream. Should they immediately be with him if he's operating the dream? Like, it, let's say I jump into your dream and you're having a dream there or you're eating a piece of pizza. Am I going to show up like three miles away at a, you know, in the you're middle of the street? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I would be there in the pizza shop with you. No, they miss the train. So they're just wandering the subway tracks and they stumble across a like crazy post-apocalyptic landscape in a bombed out building in the middle of the subway tunnel mm -hmm. and of course the raven sitting by the door of this building where there's a there's a bust of janus the god of the past and future and they're like whoa maybe we should uh, go inside of this man's symbolic dream house and right away you get a lot of the uh, nathan who i guess we're gonna get is the mo more cautious of them although they also kind of mentioned that he's sort of the reason they all got kicked out. So I don't know if it's supposed to be that he now is overly cautious because of his past actions, but he's he's going to spend most of the episodes going like, guys, I need you to pull back. I don't know if you should do this. Guys, don't go forward. Don't don't go in that building. Please don't. Yeah. Uh, they immediately uh, ignore him. I, th I guess that's where you should say that too. They're able to talk to people in the waking world because they have like Bluetooth headphones in so you can talk to the sleeper and then they talk via, then they talk back via data glove. Like it's such a weird. Well, that's the thing. It's like, why did they just have them a bill be able to talk back or have them when they say stuff it appears on the screen the whole point of the data glove doesn't add or change anything really i mean it's fine it's just it, this is how they can communicate you could right. a waking person can talk to a sleeping person and they can talk back otherwise you'd have a very like weird show where people couldn't communicate i guess mm -hmm. um anyway they go into this building the interior is like this massive building full of like elevators and like staircases and they find like some graffiti on a wall that says never spelled any um, vur spelled any vur because that's how things are spelled and then they find a big old mirror in a hallway and kate's just like hey i've got an idea steve that might be able to help us get back this dream back on track i used to play a game as a kid we'd stare into a mirror until the boogeyman appeared and steve's like that's dumb and you're stupid yeah but then it somehow works and it immediately works steve immediately dismisses her idea as being stupid the man, the the shadow faced man appears immediately, has a knife. Steve has to wrestle him into the mirror. They fall through the mirror in front of the subway, and Steve gets hit by the subway and has a cardiac arrest in his sleep pod. They go, he's suffocating. Invitac, <laughs> and uh, he's immediately put into intensive care and taken out of this episode. <laughs> and this is not a spoiler. Obviously, the show's been over for like twenty years, but. In the next episode, he's still suffering the effects of this of this cardiac arrest. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's still feeling this. This uh, I mean, he's getting put in intensive care. It's pretty bad. Anyway, uh, Doctor Bradford then goes and tracks down old Costigan after this this ill ill fated trip into his dreams, and Costigan's in the middle of a street shooting basketball. Like I don't I don't understand. Like it's the middle of the night. There is a imagine a street in in the downtown of your city. Someone has installed a basketball net on the curb pointing out into the street in a way that no one would be able to use this basketball net. He's just shooting hoops there for no apparent reason. It's because they've already established that this place is off the beaten path, but you're right. It's sort of like, it looks literally like someone was just like, hey, where's the most random place I could put a basketball net? How about right there? Yeah, and I, at this point, I'm just like, is the reveal of the show, everything in the show is a dream? The whole thing is taking place in a dream? Because this doesn't make sense. I think that would be wild, but I don't think that's where the show's going to go. Anyway, Bradford's just like, hey, sorry that went so bad. Uh, I'm going to go into your dream next and help you out. Um, because, you know, you're about you're running out of time. You're about to die if we've, if we've forgotten the time is ticking down. Well, I'll be honest. As a viewer, I kind of forgot that there was any sort of immediacy. I ended up forgotten it, yeah. as well. Um, so this time they're like, hey, why don't we go into your dream? But let's go to someplace happier. Let's not just try to jump into your nightmare this time. Let's try to, Let's try a different way of approach. So Kate joins Bradford and they go into a dream in his hometown Costigan's hometown of Bethlehem, North Carolina, where they see Ben as a little boy, or Costigan, sorry, Ben Costigan, and the little boy says out loud to them, never. And we're like, oh, never's come back. Yeah, this must mean something. Um, You'd have to have a degree in... um, Cultural symbology? Yeah, 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 (laughs) to understand, but there you are. And the the little boy's also holding a toy soldier and uh costigan explains to them it's like oh that's a that's the wooden toy soldier my father carved for me and named never it must have something to do with what's going on so in the dream they go to visit his uh, the farmhouse he grew up on where the uh all kinds of crazy dream weather is happening a storm's blowing mm-hmm. in yeah and i think he sees his parents and like i think it's they start like walking backwards because it's a dream and then his dad's like never yeah he walks backwards never everyone moves backwards in dreams it's so crazy so uh they're like hey Costigan, what happened to that toy soldier you had? It seems to have something to do with your dreams. And he's like, well, I buried it in the basement when my mom told me I was too old for toys anymore. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Luke. I'm assuming you had toys at one point. I know you're a big Jurassic Park uh, dinosaur got fan of, as got a kid. Got a lot of dinosaur fans as a kid. Yeah, yeah. At any point, did your mother tell you you should bury them in the basement? <laughs> yeah. She's just like, you're old enough now to go bury your toys in the basement. I'm like, it's classic I was like, coming of age. Yeah, yeah. Checks out. <laughs> anyway. So they head down to the dream basement, and he starts digging up the uh, the old toy soldier. But what's in the dirt? It's the Shadow Man. Yeah, yeah. And then stuff starts, like, falling, and they... Uh, it's, it's an earthquake. Yeah. He reaches out, and he's like, grabs the Shadow Man's face and tears the shadow off his face. And the Shadow Man's face is Costigan's face. What could it mean? <laughs> At this point, did you know what it meant? Because I did. I mean, I didn't really care where it was going, but like, <laughs> I, I was also just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, at this point, I'm like, you don't need scientists to tell you what's happening here. This dream is exp- is an explained by any human being on Earth can explain this dream for you. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, they're really going for a high intensity. They wake back up from the dream, and Bradford's just like, you know what this means? We're going to North Carolina to your old house to dig up a toy. And I'm like, is that what this means? <laughs> it was weird, right? Because they chose to go to that specific memory. So I don't know how it just happened that the memory they chose happens to have the answer and the answer would then be in the real place. I, I was like, 
Okay, sure. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I, yeah. It, like, I'm like, I'm like, this man has no time left. You're going to fly across the country? Okay. Also, another sort of cliche that I'm tired of seeing is anytime someone goes back to their old childhood home, it's never like a home where someone else is living and it's being renovated and brought back up to snuff. It's always Completely an old dilapidated abandoned. house that no one is just being left to rot. I'm like, I've lived in many houses. All of them are someone's living in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They So they immediately go back. They, they dig up this toy from the basement. Thankfully, they have their dream interpreter there who's like, did you notice that everybody's walking backwards? Well, maybe never stands for Reuven, a reference to Jacob's first son in the Bible. I'm just like, okay, cool. But it's not even how you spell that name. (laughs) So there's, because I was like, I saw it. I was like, there's no way that's right. So I went and looked it up and there's two spellings of that name. One is the name Reuben. That's used in some translations, R-E-U-B-E-N, or Reuven, R-E apostrophe U-V-E-N. That's not what either of those are. That's very funny. So it's oh like you have God. this mythology. It doesn't even make sense. Anyway, they dig it up and like, for whatever reason, finding this toy and it took him so long to be like, never must be spelled backwards. Like I knew it the second I saw it. I'm like, this is clearly going to be backwards because everything's about mirrors in this dream. I get yeah. it. But they find this toy and Bradford's like, this gives me an idea. Let me go make some calls. And we get this weird side thing where um, he's off making a call and Costigan turns to Kate very rudely, says, hey, you got a real crush on your boss, huh? (laughs) Yeah, which was weird. Like, I know why they did it, because they want to set up that a little bit more of the backstory and the relationship between these two people. But it it was so clumsy. Imagine meeting someone for the first time and you're just like, hey, I can tell you want to have sex with your boss. And she doesn't say, um, excuse me, mind your own business, you stupid pig. She says, oh, well, he's in love with someone else. So I don't know. Maybe bat my eyelashes. Yeah, she kind of explains, she's like, I would, but he's married, and his wife is in a coma back at the Morphe Institute, and he spends all his off time in her dreams with her. I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of enjoyed that this show just doubles down on what it is, you know? Oh, I mean, it is committed to a lot. It's committing to a lot. I'll give it that. Anyway, Bradford gets off his phone call, and he's used this phone call. I don't know what he's managed to piece together from this, but he's just like, what we got to do now is we got to go visit your senile old family doctor in the old folk home he's in. Cause I'm going to go there and badger him in his dementia state to admit that your mother had a second child named Reuven who died at birth. And then for some reason insisted that the doctor cover up the existence of because she didn't want her son to know that he had a twin who died in the womb, so we hid the record of his birth, and this is somehow a big revelation. This is more of a problem in this episode, and uh, to be fair, it's a pilot, than the next episode, which is nothing they solve or find out, which, by the way, the tenuous connection between the information they get and the the answers they have are, again, tenuous at best. But... (laughs) nothing they got by going into the dream they could have simply got from just talking to him he could have had a dream and said by the way here's a bunch of weird things that happened in my dream i saw this word i saw this person and they could have said oh well the connection is you used to have a, a twin brother you know what i mean yeah, like there's no point for them to go in the dreams at all well and like and that's this thing there's this whole thing where it's like they have to get the doctor to admit that his mother and sister are covering up the death of this twin and like hid the records and then from there they go to the tombstone of the dead which brother. is there somehow it's like the tombstone was there the whole time 
I'm like, so this isn't. What are you talking about? This is covered up. There's like a whole tombstone set up on this kid. Well, that's the thing. It almost seems like what this should have been is that he always did know he had a brother, but the trauma of losing him was so bad that he has blocked it from his memory. He's, he's and buried thus, it. And thus the dreams are bringing this back out to the forefront. But and, and because his parents are dead, he can't ask them. That makes more sense than this, where you're like, none of this makes any sense. No, none of this adds up. And basically it's like, turns out Koskin's immune system is shutting down because he's having dreams because he has survivor's guilt over his dead twin. Yep. <laughs> and they've like, we've solved the mystery. It's survivor's guilt. Oh, but by the way, you're still going to die. Because like, I know you know this now consciously that you have survivor's guilt. But you, you until you go in the dream and tell the shadow man that he's just survivor's guilt, he's still going to kill you. So you got to go back in that dream and tell the shadow man that he's just survivor's guilt. I mean, Luke, that checks out. What are you talking about, you guys? He knows now. You don't need to go in the dream and tell the shadow man. But they do. They go back in the dream. He's like, hey, shadow man, you're my survivor's guilt. And then the shadow man's like, no, I'm going to stab you still. And when he tries, he shatters into a million digital pieces. Yeah. Costigan is cured from his immune his immune system disease i guess he's back to normal luke it was dreams the whole time it was dreams the whole time and then they're just like well costigan do you know why you started having these dreams six months ago and he's just like no i can't piece it together it's like well six months ago is when your mother died okay <laughs> i just want to say one thing though so this is what they said they're like six months ago your mom died that's why you started having these dreams and i'm just saying they're like at the beginning of this episode, you told me he had hallucinations about Shadow Man, which caused him to crash a jet in the Gulf War. That was seven years ago. <laughs> but his mom died six months ago. So, like, it's just like none of this adds up. They, they they can't even keep their own logic straight from minute to minute of the show. And I'm just like, I hate you so much right now. What I like is, though, they go, they have this conversation at his home. and his, With his wife. With his wife. And his poor wife has been in three scenes. And I noticed... Only until the very end of the episode does this poor actress get one line and it's like, thank you. She's just thank there. You. She's just there to be like, she's a wife. She's a woman. So just put her onto the background. She's got to hold that baby. Yeah, she has to hold their baby. And then they basically have a scene where they're like, anyway, well, you're not going to be a pilot anymore, even though you're cured. Um, I know. But you probably want to make a difference in the world, don't you? And he's like, I absolutely do. And they're like, well, there's only one way we can see. And that's because you have no expertise or training or interest you're in hired. it. I think you should join our team. And he's like, sounds good to me. I know. I, I wrote that too. I'm just like, it's like, well, we solved your case. You want a job? <laughs> Well, what it is, is I think uh, old, uh, the other guy who's got a wonky heart now, they're like, he's not going to last. We got to get his replacement up, up, oh, up and right Old away. Steve. We gave him that heart attack. I'm <laughs> uh, not sure he's going to bounce back from that one. Before we end the episode, though, Luke, isn't this not your favorite part of the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to skim over. But yeah, he like old Bradford goes to visit his wife's dreams. <laughs> yeah. And we get a shot of like them walking on the beach and they've got like flowing clothing. And they're like, aren't we in love? And you're like, she's in a coma. Which all again, how many times have we seen a wife in a coma? A million times in these shows. Popular, popular idea. Wife, and nothing gives you stakes like having a, a wife trapped forever in a living death. Well, the the stakes are always you want this main character to bone, but you also want him to be held back, and the only way he could be held back is wife in a coma. I mean, at least this time he can actually go and talk to the wife in the Fair coma. And there's at least a character there. Also, did you? I I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm almost positive the the actress playing the wife is in the opening credits and i'm just like what is this role for her she's just gonna always be in this coma if i was an actor that's the role i want just like sleeping all day long yeah. on set anyway let's move on to the next episode here's the imdb counting sheep 
I'm D. Summary for episode five, because this is apparently supposed to be episode two, uh, Counting Sheep. Well, Ben will go into the dream with her, and as soon as Fives picks her up, if Fives picks her up, he'll follow them, and at the same time, will retrace their steps in the waking world. How do we know where we're going? Well, we can talk to Kate while she's under, and uh, she can send messages back via the data gloves. So if she wants to send you some information, directions, for instance, uh, you'll be able to read them on this wireless PDA. It's a personal digital assistant that I've modified to have a direct uplink to the lab here. Looks like a Game Boy to me. Ben and Kate are sent into the twisted mind of a comatose serial killer to try and learn the location of his latest victim, who may still be alive. So, uh, this episode opens up in a beautiful garden center. The serial killer Conrad Conrad Phoebes is chatting up an employee there, and they are talking about flowers to such an extent that this could might as well not be English. (laughs) They are. It's they're very specific about. The types of flowers, the growing conditions, the specifications of said flowers. They're talking with such an expertise shorthand that they could just be saying random. Like, for the first, like, 30 seconds, I'm like, is this supposed to be a dream? Like, are they supposed to be talking in gibberish right now? But apparently they just know flowers so well. Like, you the, you as an audience member cannot understand a word they're saying. Yeah, and but while he's talking, we keep getting these weird, again, like you sort of mentioned before, this music video-esque sort of, like, really quick cuts to, like... It's even hard to tell what it is. It's like maybe a monster, maybe just darkness and evil. Like, it happens. Yeah, close cuts of his eyes, and something's happening behind them. His eyes are like color toned to be ultra green. Yeah, and this episode really, uh, really ups the color contrast of reality and the dreams. That's one thing to know. Everything's like extreme colors. Yeah, and you know we're supposed to be worried for this flower tender because quite clearly this man's off balance. Um, before anything can happen, the cops bust in to arrest him because they're on, they're on to old thieves here, and uh, he grabs a hostage. And before he can get out of there, grouchy old Detective Burke shoots him square in the head. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Why would you do that?" And now let me mention right off the bat, this detective is going to be in this episode throughout. Yeah, there's two detectives we have to follow through the whole episode. <laughs> is he not the most annoying character? Throughout the whole Honestly, thing. Honestly, he's the best part of this episode for me. Oh, he was, he was so annoying. He is so funny. Like, they wrote a character who is just, like, the most... Like, it's just the most cliched cop who, like, hates... Who hates anything technology-based. So, like, he's constantly like, Dreams? I only believe in what I can see with my eyeballs. Yeah, but he never stops. Every scene, he has to be like, That's stupid. I was so funny. I thought he was the best part of this episode for me. Because he was just, like... The, the actor's clearly like, Well, this character is the flattest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm just going to really like ham it up. So anyways, we go to the opening credits and then we come back and we have like Kate and Ben on a roof and she's like giving him rules about a dream and and all this. But what I love is, and maybe you caught it, but I'm pretty sure she starts going, there's some rules to a dream. And she says, dream rule one, the host is always in control of the landscape. And I was like, okay, great. We're, We're establishing now the rules. She doesn't give any other rules. Well, she does. She does tell us you can if you die in a dream, you'll die in reality. Like sort of recapping last week's episode. But yes, this is like Ben Ben Costigan's dream training with Kate, and like she's just like, check this out. I control the dream. Jump off this roof with me. And when they jump off, they suddenly rematerialize inside a cave in Australia. And apparently, since last episode, she's gotten much better at confronting her childhood trauma because now she's in the middle of this cave 
it's full of cave like ancient cave drawings mm-hmm. and uh she explains that her parents were anthropologists studying the aboriginals and one day they took her and her brother to visit this cave of cave drawings um she doesn't know what happened in that cave but she's the only one who walked out yeah she's like oh good i'm glad they they colored her back history yeah and also i hate this trope we've seen it a few times before it's just like can you believe the indigenous people they have some other world knowledge that we don't know about <laughs> it's like shut shut up <laughs> well shut up white lady <laughs> What I like here is then she's like part of the training is just like, well, I'm going to leave the dream. You have to figure a way out and how he so she disappears and how he figures his way out is he's Alec Baldwin in Beetlejuice. He just draws a door and then he opens the door. I was like, oh, so is the rule then that I can just come up with any way out of a solution? Yeah, I guess. Well, it's just like when you're when you're the dreamer, you're lucid. So you can just do it, do whatever you want. I wouldn't have drawn a door. I would have just snap my fingers and had the cave disappear or whatever picked up the cave with one finger and thrown it away <laughs> but he he only knew how to draw a door that's the only idea you come yeah with. at any rate this i guess fills in some more of her backstory we're really rushing through it's like what happened in that cave what what do wh- who cares what do these people from ancient times know that we don't it's just like uh i hate this <laughs> anyway uh as at this moment the cops show up at the morpheus institute they're going to need Bradford's help because he previously consulted on the, quote, Sandman case. And yeah, so I love he, that. So they know he can help him with this latest problem. And uh, basically, I they, bet the Sandman case is the one we saw in the first episode where the kid is uh, being reunited <laughs> with his mother. That was the Sandman case. Um, basically, uh, Phoebes, he has a victim that's still missing. They need to figure out where she is before he dies of a gunshot in the head. And um, because they're all psychologically trained, they're very like... After hearing nothing about the serial killer, they're able to really break down what's up with Phoebes. Uh, he's got scopophobia, afraid of being watched, so he blinds his victims. And this is clearly because of his prostitute mother who humiliated him. I'm just like, you've been given no evidence to make any of these conclusions. <laughs> now, all that stupidness aside, and there's no, there's not much of an argument that that's not all stupid and just kind of lazy. However, I'm going to argue that the structure of this episode of going into a comatose killer's head to try to find clues as to where someone is kept is a better use of the dreams than in the first dream where you're left not quite sure what they're uh, even doing. 100%. I'll say it right now. This should have been the pilot. I agree. It's a better pilot. This explains the promise of the show way better than that other thing does. And obviously this was supposed to be the second episode, so maybe that would have helped. Ended up airing fifth sometime mm. in March, so uh, did not help anyone. But yeah, um, I, I would agree. Like The premise of this is just like, when you tell me you're going to go into someone's dreams, the first thing you think is that movie The Cell, and this is that movie The Cell. But again, it makes more sense. Now, I think it, it limits the scope of what they can do and the fantastic elements that you can have in dreams. But this episode, for its flaws, and there is plenty of flaws, structurally is a lot more strong than the first episode. Yeah, I mean, this feels more like, okay, this is what this show is supposed to be. Anyway, uh, you know, they know his victims die of suffocation in a walk-in freezer and have are covered in traces of pollen, so they need to go into Fibes' dreams and, and get him to reveal that location. So um, they're going to send Costigan in because he's new on the job. Um, and they're As gonna you send would. Kaden. They're going to send Caden to get, check it out. And um, the basic idea is... He's not going to be lucid. He's in a coma. So they'll be able to, like, really kind of manipulate him in his dreams. And, you know, Kate will act as, like, kidnap bait. And Costigan will follow him in the dream. 
Well, in the waking world, uh, Dr. Bradford will hang out with those two cops, Burke and his partner, and they'll basically follow along via, quote, wireless PDA. Well, uh, Kate texts them on that PDA from her data glove, like the kind of details of what's happening. Here's the question, though. They go into the dream and what has become evident in this episode is that you can change your appearance because she changes her hair to be red because apparently all his victims have red hair. But why don't you just change everything about yourself then? Why didn't Ben just make himself a woman? It doesn't make sense because they specifically said only the dreamer can work the dream. So I don't know what's going on. Like, it is weird that they're like... But yeah, I, I guess you can you can choose your appearance. Um, but but did, can I mention one thing? When they first go into the dream and she is dressed somewhat more provocatively, perhaps, and she has red hair and she's with Ben and she goes, how do I look? Did you see what he answered her? Yeah, well, this is where the sexism of the show comes in is like they enter the dream and like I did know she had different red hair on and like I guess she's wearing a different outfit. Um, but like it didn't strike me as like particularly like crazy like it was, it, she's showing her legs as opposed to wearing a pair she's of pants in a, she's that's in basically a skirt. she's just in a skirt and he's just like you look like you should be walking the street you disgust me <laughs> yeah he doesn't say disgusting but he makes a very disparaging comment face. that he thinks she looks like a prostitute she doesn't though she's no i know human she she's like i'm like this doesn't look like anything no i know it's insane it's insane anyway yeah they get a pda the cops are gonna follow along with brad for along the way I did like this, though, too, because Burke's just like, he sees the PDA, he's just like, looks like a Game Boy to me. <laughs> of course he does. I just love him. He's always got a snide comment to say. Um, anyway, uh, and also before they leave, guess what? Uh, Steve's out of intensive care from that heart attack. Nobody seems to mind or care. They just like, he walks in, he's like, I'm here. And they're like, oh, you're you're better? Oh, cool. I love, though, on these shows, they are desperate to have large cast. And, and for, for a show, this is... Compared to some, it's not the biggest cast, but it's a five, six person team. But it's like, always it's very clear right off the bat. They're like, oh, we don't know what to do with all these characters. It's like, you made them. Make it a three person team. <laughs> anyway, as we said, Costigan and Kate go into the dream of Phoebe's very much like they, they're they're next to like some burnt out warehouse in the dream. Everyone in, the, in them is like a monster wearing a scary doll face in the dream. Again, this is like what you said. It's like a, a weird, creepy music video esque like wouldn't it be creepy if everyone's like like a a doll from hell you're like okay sure sure he's a serial killer's mind anything can happen um they catch a bus in the dream because you apparently when you go to the dream you gotta do a lot of commuting once you're in the dream so they catch a bus to the garden center and the garden center is more like reality like it's all vibrant and they really up the color contrast because they're like oh flowers are where he feels the most real so everything here looks normal and we basically just rewatch the opening scene of the episode where he's chatting up this flower lady at the flower store mm-hmm. but this time kate interjects herself into the conversation and really you know she's really just being like look at me don't you want to kidnap me i'm just your type. yeah and he does he does want to kidnap her he does want to kidnap her because he's she's just like listen I need to get a nice bouquet for my wedding. And you seem like a man who knows a lot about flowers. Why don't I get in your creepy van and you take me to your flower shop? And Phoebe's is just like, well, this is really easy this time. I'm just loving it. I'm just loving it. And uh, old old Vincent and Steve, who are monitoring the brainwaves, are just like, they can tell it's working because they're like, you guys, we just noticed that monkey boy's testosterone spiked. And I'm just like, monkey boy? <laughs> What I think is better is, it also funnier, is they should have just had the the uh, guy in the coma get an erection. <laughs> well, I, I don't even understand. But why is he monkey boy? I don't understand any of this. <laughs> They're insulting him for some reason. Worst insult. Anyway, you know, they're driving through Fibes' creepy landscape. 
Costigan's somehow gotten a dream car and he's falling behind them on the same creepy landscape. Well, in the waking world, the cops and Bradford are on the same roads, kind of following the texts as they go along the same. And we see in the real world, it's not quite so creepy. But in the dream, a tree falls across the road and basically Costigan loses the van. So he's like, I don't have eyes on Kate anymore. And uh, while they're driving, Five starts getting really annoyed with Kate because she seems bored of his boring flower stories he won't stop telling. He basically gets upset and then it's like the turn where he sort of, I think pretty quickly, she's trying to like empathize with him in a way, but he sees right through it because it's pretty clumsy. (laughs) Well, what he has is he's just talking about how the Greeks liked flowers nonstop for like 30 minutes and she's like staring out the window bored out of her mind and he's like you're not listening to me and so he pepper sprays her yeah and then he grabs her throws her in into like into a room well he tosses her in the back of the van and ties her up he's like oh now i'm kidnapping you because you wouldn't listen to my flower stories you're all tied up and apparently when you're tied up in a dream you can't wiggle your little fingers and text anymore yeah (laughs) which i'm just like Nope, doesn't work. She can still wiggle her little fingers. More importantly, he gets rid of her eyes. Well, no, I mean, this is the thing. Like, he ties her up so she can't communicate. So they lose track of where she goes. And he hauls her off to, like, in the dream, this botanical garden. So he's like, we're like, oh, this is where he brings his victims. This botanical garden he used to work at that's closed down now. And she's just like, and, you know, as we said, he doesn't like his victims looking at her. So it's like, he's like, don't look at me. And he, yeah, he does some cool dream stuff that we've kind of seen before in uh, Harsh Realm. Yeah, very similar. He like, what does he do? He like runs his hand over her face and like skin grows over her eyes. That very like creepy, like, oh, your eyes are gone now. I don't know if that's what this show's strength is, but I feel like in an episode like this, where it's supposed to be, you know, the mind of a serial killer and it's all dark and mysterious. I think they could have upped the creepy horror aspects of this. I, I What I was kind of hoping for the show is that each episode would almost have a different tone in some ways because the person is different and the dream is different and i feel like they just don't lean into it enough like look it looks what it looks like but i was like more of this stuff make it weirder and creepier yeah i mean that's what that's the only advantage the show has is like at least you can do weird dream stuff and like this is fine this is fine um but yeah it's at this point basically they realize it's like oh he's covering her eyes with skin Uh uh-oh phoebes knows he's dreaming and now he's lucid dreaming so like old costigan gets booted out of the dream and they realize they've lost control of this dream and they've lost kate and they don't know where even costigan's like murder place is so they're Mm. they're in a lot of trouble and so kate's supposed to needs to do some fancy talk in her way out of this situation in the dream and she tries some real reverse psychology on phoebes by being like you were right to kill those women they were looking at you it was a good thing you killed those women and uh what I liked is Phoebe was like, do you think I'm going to fall for the most obvious pandering? Like, I'm not stupid. Yeah. But he is still stupid because he's like, well, you know what? I'm still going to show you. I'll give you your eyes back. I'll show you where I, the walk-in freezer I throw the women into. But you're not tricking me. I know you're not tricking me. And he takes her to the walk-in freezer. And when he does, Kate somehow gets the upper hand and manages to kick him into the freezer and lock him in the freezer. And she she gets her hands free. And she's like, time to move my hands again and text that I'm at this crazy uh, place where this crazy botanical garden get everybody over here. And she's just like, you better get over here and like save me because uh, I figured out where the freezer is. It's just like weird. And then like, the people in the reality, like the waking world, Bradford, just like, she says she's in a botanical garden. Are there any of those around here? And he's like, no, wait. If in the dream it's a botanical garden, that's a place full of life and birth. That means in the real world, it's the opposite. Are there any funeral homes around here? It was the weirdest turn because we've just seen an episode where they were like, oh, he's digging something in the basement. So thus, it's that's where it is in the real world. And this is, it must be the opposite. And I was like, 
but there's been no indication of that. Like, they're literally just driving in a car aimlessly, and he goes, must be the opposite of what she sees, so the opposite of a greenhouse is a funeral home? This is the, Here's the thing. I think they're establishing the rule is everything is opposite in dreams. <laughs> so... <laughs> Which is just, like, biz- a bizarre thing. So, anyway, it, like, it's at this point, Kate's sort of running away from this lock-in freezer. She knows Fives is going to lucid his way out eventually, and she's running around. And earlier in the episode, apropos to nothing, she had, like, told Phoebes, she's just like, oh, I don't think you're doing this. I think someone's forcing you to do this. And I'm just like, I, I thought she was just, like, saying that to get mm-hmm. on his good side. But then in his dream, Detective Burke just steps out from around the corner. He's like, hey, it's me, Detective Burke. I'm also a serial killer who helps Phoebes. I'm like, what? Yeah, well, there's, okay, there's a couple of things that are annoying about it. We've seen it way too many times that the, you know, who's the killer? It's actually two people. That's why you never saw it again. It's like, okay, we've we've seen that a million times. But also, they also made the detective a dickhead from the beginning. So you already didn't like him. And it was almost like, well, we need him to be the murderer. So you also need the viewer to not like him from the beginning but it also sort of like undercuts what they were revealing and it's also like wait a minute he's a murderer and he's also being solving crimes on this yeah it, in his real job well the thing is they don't see it it doesn't make like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense it's just like it's not a reveal you're like okay and like even it's so funny in the dream because like they're constantly just like this is phoebe's dream so this isn't really detective burke but d- dream detective burke in phoebe's dream says Oh, by the way, you were wrong about Phoebes. It was my mother who was the prostitute. I'm just like, they never said that to Phoebes. They said that to Burke. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right, though. They didn't see it. Like, it could, based on this episode and what we know of the characters, it could have just as easily been Nathan as it is this detective. It makes as much sense. 100%. You know what makes way more sense for this episode? You send Kate into the dream with Burke. And then you have her in this cat and mouse with both the actual people, mm-hmm. as opposed to now she's playing cat and mouse with just two dream. Like, it's like, oh, it's Burke, but it's not like it's his dream. But like, yeah, like we're kind of treating him like he's an individual character who lives inside of his mind. Like, it's just like, I don't like it was. Well, it's, it's because they need they have to keep separating Ben and Kate. So they really need first. It was the tree that separated them. Now there's going to be like a struggle. She's going to get off with what's the guy's name? Phoebe? Phoebeus? Phoebes. Phoebes. And so Dream Detective is going to fight Ben. It's now, just a separate. Now a threat. Yeah. And then, like, obviously Kate's free now. So she immediately, like, uses her data glove to text Bradford and be like, yo, uh, by the way, I just found out that Detective Burke's the murderer, too. So just, you know, look out for that. And it's very funny. Like, the text comes in <laughs> and Burke doesn't even see it. He's just, like, he just pulls out his gun and shoots his partner. He's like, well, obviously that text is about me. Like, no, who no, else could it be? No, no, I disagree. I'm pretty sure when the text came in, he saw it on his phone. That's what Oh, it did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He, he could see the PDA. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna give that to the show. It's still stupid, but I think, uh, I think he did see it, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, Burke now knows they know. So he shoots his partner uh, on the spot and, like, Bradford's like, I better go hide. Um, but let me ask you, though. I'm a detective murderer, and this person, outside person we've brought in, now has found out I'm the murderer. Would you not shoot that person, not your partner? Because he could have shot Nathan and then said, he's the murderer the whole time, and then pin it on him. I will defend the show now. I think it's because, like, I had to go back and watch the sequence because it happened so quickly, but, like, he sees the PDF and he pulls his gun, and his partner just immediately pulls her gun as soon as she, like, and so he's like, oh, no, she has her gun now. Oh, okay. Like, it's not not that that defends it, but yes, it is whatever it is. And anyway, back in the dream, 
Burke lets Phoebe's out of his out of his freezer that he was locked in, and like they do a big explanation, like, "Oh yeah, we grew up together. We're like boyhood friends, and like we just decided, hey, we got the same phobia. Let's start killing together. It'll be fun." <laughs> yeah, it does. It doesn't make sense at all. Like no explanations really at all. Anyway, somehow in this dream that he's lucid in, Phoebe's does not notice they put Costigan back into the dream after he's kicked him out. Somehow, like doesn't notice costing well i'll tell you why though i'm gonna again defend this show because we found out when you go into a dream you don't go to where the person is dreaming you go to some part of the dreamscape that's 18 miles away so that's where he's gone yeah he 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 enters in a hedge maze that he's gonna have to find his way out of and of course he's like in the waking world i'd make all left hand turns so in the dream world i should make all right hand turns to get out of this maze i'm just like dude you could do like both are gonna have the same result yeah also, the base doesn't look great. I, it's just like, so they're really committing to this idea is like everything's in reverse. But I'm just like, hey, you guys. Anyway, he gets out of this hedge maze. He manages to arrive just in time while, she, while Kate is being menaced by two dream seal killers. He starts fist fighting Burke so that Kate can run away from Phoebes. And it's at this point that, like, she's running away, being chased around, and the, and the dream starts to become unstable because, I guess, Phoebes is about to die in the real world. So it's, like, everything's shaking and glasses breaking, yeah. and Phoebes' is, like, nose is bleeding, and the blood looks all squiggly for some reason. Just because it's a dream. And Kate's like, I have to tell you, you were shot in the head, and you're about to die. And Phoebes is like, I don't believe you. Uh, I, this is all your fault. And then, like, her face starts to morph into all his vi- various victims, and he's like, oh, but, no, but it I'm doesn't, being haunted. It doesn't really work, though, because... I, I couldn't tell any of them apart. It just looked like weird. Fa- I was like, is that what she's supposed to be? A bunch of victims. They all look exactly the same. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the best it best effect. I think it's part of the problem was they were morphing it with like still images because all they had mm. was the stills they had on the bulletin board. So right. it doesn't it's not a very smooth transition. Anyway, like so he's like, oh, I guess you're right. I guess I am in a terrible dream where I'm dying after getting shot in the head. But why don't you come closer? I have something very important to tell you, Kate. I want to give you something to remember me by. And he like reaches into his own head and pulls a grow a green glowing orb out and just shoves it into Kate. She's like, there you go. I just put some weird green glowing orb in you. Gotta die. And he does. And, you know, Kate and Costigan wake up in the, their dream pods. They're like, well. Better tell old Bradford where that missing victim is. He's, she's in the walk-in closet. She's in the walk-in freezer of the funeral home. What I like, though, is because they established earlier on that if he died while they were in there, their consciousness would also die. So thus, they would die. But when they get out, they're like, is, Kate gets out and, and she's like, what happened to the guy? And he's like, oh, he died. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you were just getting out the exact time he died. So everything's good. Anyways, don't worry about it. Yeah, I know, right? Back at the funeral home, Bradford's gotten the drop somehow on Burke, gets his gun, gives him a gut shot, and then, like, goes and saves the lady who's in the walk-in freezer. So the day has been saved. All the serial killers have either died or been stopped. And they kind of all get together to, like, give us a little uh, exposition to wrap up the case. And uh, they explain that Phoebes and Burke were tandem killers who shared the same delusion. And Kate was able to figure this out because she noticed that some parts of the crime were organized and others were disorganized. And I'm just like, we never got that. Like, this is all information the viewer was never privy to. Also, I don't think that's enough to have to stage a case on. I'm sure there's examples of serial killers that had different methods for uh, for murder. So it's just like, Kate, you're you're bad at your job. Well, it's just to show it's just to show how smart the people at the Morpheus Institute. They're so smart. They're interpreting these things from information the viewer never got to hear. But don't worry. They figured it all out because they're so brainy. But not smart enough to not have a glowing orb stuck into your chest. If a serial killer says, hey, I got to give you something, I'm going to go, you know what? I got to go over there. (laughs) 
But yeah, the, this is where the episode ends. Is now Kate's quite afraid to go to sleep because she doesn't know what was inside that green glowing orb the serial killer shoved into her. Um, and finally, like we get this montage of will she fall asleep? Will she not fall asleep? And she does. And what we do, what we get is some quick flashes of some scary images, and like yeah. that's where the show wraps up. Although I will say, like, what a weird are the is this going to be a running thing or is this just a one off? Because like, what a grim fate for Kate to have now serial killer thoughts in her brain forever like what a weird place to leave her i think it's something that will pop back up in another episode but i don't think it's going to be like serialized through every episode because i was just it just like i just felt like i'm like listen it's not a great show but like i don't think this character should be punished in that way it just seems mean (laughs) it does but i mean the tone of these two episodes in some ways is very similar uh this episode is a lot darker but the problems that exist in the first episode are clearly still there in the second episode and I'm sure are going to be indicative of the show as a whole as we go through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know for sure. Um, I mean, I don't really have any final notes on this. I'm sure we'll talk more about the show as we get into it. So uh, you want to you get into ratings here? Yeah. Why don't you give me the rating uh, for the pilot? What do you think? Listen, it's bad. It's a bad pilot. Like this might be the worst pilot I think I've watched. Do you think so? I don't know if it's the worst pilot. After watching this pilot, I'm like, you should have canceled it after this pilot. Like, this pilot is so, like, it's just so bad. Here's the thing. Here's a high concept science fiction, and we're being asked to suspend our disbelief around just, like, this core concept that you can enter someone else's dreams, and inside of it, you are in danger. Fine. Like, I get Like, it's a big jump, but, like, that's what I'm being asked to do. But the entire time, they're like, oh, also, we have to, like, just just go with us on this jump of logic. Like, uh, nobody told him his brother was alive, but there is a few, there is a tombstone, like, on the house he used to live at. Like, they just constantly just like, oh, just ignore that. Just pretend that didn't happen. Like, they're just asking me to suspend my disbelief on every turn because they have not committed to telling a coherent story. Yeah. And it's a real problem, I think. And for better or worse, I just don't think it's like, you know, like we said, you're going into dreams. You're going to have some cool dream adventures, maybe. I think for the most part, they're stuck between they partly want to rip off just Friday the 13th clumsily. And then the other part is like you can see it in the background of this because like I think David Goyer, the like comic book Mm -hmm. screenwriter is in this. You can just see him trying to rip off the Sandman series just perpetually. Like it's all he wants to do is like do the clumsiest rip off of Sandman's for some reason. And it's not working. I'm going to give this I'm going to give it 2.5. Oh, you're going lower. I'm going to be a little more generous, not because I think it's that much better, but I just, I'm going to give it a five out of 10. I don't think it's a great show by any stretch. It's not good. I think the premise of the show is really interesting, but I think they're missing that. What's interesting is the possibilities and the abnormalities and oddness and possibly wonderfulness you could have in going into a dream. And I think they're getting stuck in a prism of their own own limitations which don't make sense it's like just establish that these like random make some rules and then have fun with it but it's just like they don't even really want to listen to their own rules i don't know it just seems like they don't want to have the fun they can have and it's like why yeah. like it's it's a fun idea this is why i'm running the pilot so low it's just like you're telling us why we should watch the show and you basically am like oh but we don't know like we don't even have a good idea for a pilot yeah. Like, we have a bad... Like, it's like, we don't even know how to fulfill the promise of this idea in your pilot. And, like, we'll go into... Let's, let's talk about uh, Counting Sheep, then, because here's the thing. Counting Sheep should have just been your pilot. It's the most obvious storyline for this kind of show, like, go into a dream, go into mm-hmm. Serial Killer's Dream, find the last victim. It's the most cliched, obvious version of the show. 
but that should be your pilot. Like you're fulfilling the promise of the show. And I think this does the, I mean, we'll see where this goes, but this is basically goes to the place I assumed would go right away. So I'm just like, I like, if this was the pilot, you'd be better off. Cause I think this is a, probably about a five. Like it's just a real middle of the road episode. Yeah. Some of it works. Most of it doesn't, but like, whatever, it, it's fine. It's like real middle of the road. Like this should have been the pilot, I think, because it's at least a coherent story. Agreed. So what are you going to give this a five? Yeah, five. I'm going to also give it a five. I was going to give it a six, but I hated the reveal of the tandem killer so much that it has to lose a point. I just, it's so stupid. I like that these are the same episode. They're just like, yeah, they're both equally good. Well, it's just, uh, they've got different problems. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think the second episode is a better example of what this show can be, but I also think it's also really stupid. I mean, it's very stupid. I mean, they're both very, exactly. I mean, this is the problem. They're both very stupid. Uh, and one of them just didn't know how to tell a story. <laughs> it also feels a little bit like <laughs> someone explaining something to you, but they didn't bother reading the book. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to do stuff about dreams. Do you want to do some research about dreams? Not really. I understand dreams. They're backwards. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, do you want to figure out the logic of said dreams? Yeah, not really. Anyways, TV shows. <laughs> yeah, it's um rough. This is a rough beginning. I'm not shocked this was canceled after two episodes. Not, Honestly, not you should have you should have just canceled it. I, when you when the pilot came in and everyone sat down to watch it at the network, they should have been like, "No, this was a mistake." Yeah, but these people don't know what they're doing. But we possibly have seven more episodes of this. It's cra- I mean, yeah, I here's the thing is they've now completely fell on their face in the pilot. Like they just told a nothing story that makes no sense to introduce a character they could have found a million ways to introduce in far more elegant ways. And then they told the story that is the most obvious to me. It's like, this is the only story I think you can tell in this format. So I just truly do not know what the next story can be. Cause like are is every episode going to be like, we go into the mind of a different criminal. Like they can't be it. So they no, have to be it's going gotta to be, territory. It's gotta be, there's going to be one where they find a kid that's missing. There's going to be one where, but is that it? Is it just going to be like, we have to go into everyone's brain and just find out where the missing person is? Based on these two episodes, that would be my guess. I'd be, I would really be happy if that's not the case, but I have a feeling based on these, that's what this is going to be. Yeah. I mean, I hope they go to this new territory because like you just did it. And like, it, there's not much more to say about that story. Like the serial killer story, like there's not much more to say about like, find the person. You should be able to go into someone's dream and it's a cartoon episode. You should go into someone's dream and... Yeah. You know what? You know, whatever. This any show, any wonderful thing you can think of. This show should have been show run by the guys who did Night- Nightmare Cafe. They'd do a better job. I agree. And, and and there's some similarities. You're right. But anyways, I mean, we've got hours to talk about this, so. We'll find out where they're going next week. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Uh, listener, if you want to see some clips from this show, because you know what? If you want to see some what mid-90s edginess looked like we'll have some <laughs> clips yeah uh that's uh instagram and twitter at continuum drags the handle there and of course you can email us as always continuum drag at gmail.com the uh email address to get us at but that wraps it up so listener thanks for joining us and jordan i will see you next week i will see you then continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario theme music by james rex seedler produced by jordan Dulloch and luke black Special thanks to Aaron Hughes. 